0: Welcome back to the Bill Bennett show. It's the podcast that translates Donald Trump and his people. I'll tell you about my uh, dinner with uh, Secretary Pompeo O'Connor. Right. Nice. Yeah. Heard 12, 14 people, really nice, really interesting. We take a look at the serious matters that face America and we try to take a direct look at the existential threats to our country. Joining me today is Alex Castellanos. He's an analyst with ABC News and co-founder of Purple Strategies, talking about the 2020 prospects for the Democrats. I was interested to see him on uh, the George Stephanopoulos Sunday show on a panel just telling the Democrats, you guys are going off the left brink. Let's find out about Mm -hmm. that. And then we'll hear from one of your favorites, Conrad Black, author and non-affiliated member of the House of Lords. He will share why he thinks President Trump will have a big win in the 2020 presidential election, and he will do it in his typical great Conrad Black style. A few thoughts of my own, folks. Uh, I'm going to leave the bulk of the opinion on this show to my guests, because what's on my mind is what's on the mind of these guests. And we're going to have a real focus here on what's going on in the country uh, and as we look toward 2020. So I want to talk to the guy I think is the best pollster in the business or one of the best. I think we like alex castellanos we like sean trendy right, right. yeah those are our two guys those are our guys and um with uh, with uh, alex we want to talk about the left turn of the democrats is that uh, is that is that for real and i have a few questions on that for him and then with uh, conrad black we'll take his op-eds in which he talks about trump's enemies are shooting themselves in the foot or the head and um, he will at this point according to conrad Get reelected in 2020. We'll mm-hmm. find out why he thinks that. Yeah, so it's going to be a big win for him. Let me just say this. Um, we are following the CPAC uh, speech of the president uh, a few days ago. Mm-hmm. Um, two hour and two minutes. I going to say, has he finished that? <laughs> <laughs> this was like the other speech at uh, at Gettysburg. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> uh, and, uh, it was Edward Everett Hale, uh, and, uh, Spoke for two hours. Uh huh. And then um, Ronald Reagan, <laughs> not Gettysburg, though so he'd say, Oh, yes, I remember Gettysburg if you were listening to me. Um, Abraham Lincoln spoke for, what is it, 80 seconds? Mm. Gettysburg address. No one remembers the two hour one. But the Trump speech, the Donald Trump speech at CPAC, a lot of people remembered. He did, he validated all the rules, came out, he hugged the flag. Yep. <laughs> hugged it and then he talked and then a little little profanity mm-hmm. and direct stuff and that's what he does. Little name calling and mm-hmm. stuff but and I thought man I, is this a good idea? And first indication we have is his approval rating is up uh is up 3 points. Right. You know, there you go. So pretty amazing. You know, he's at what 45, 46 now? Yeah, let me check out uh, see what. I think something like that overall, real clear politics. And that's I think where Obama was uh, around the same time in his first term. And, um, you know, we'll take all we'll take all these factors into account and we'll talk. We'll talk about that uh, on the issues. Um, the Democrats are going after him, hammer and tongue and nail and tooth and claw and throw the book at him and the uh, the erasers and the pencils and the knives and the rolling pins, everything they can think of personal finances. Uh, did he play hooky in, in elementary school? Did he draw on the walls at recess? Yeah, I mean, everything they can mm-hmm. possibly do. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to raise this with the audience. I don't know if I will raise it with the guests or not. But yeah, have you ever seen those pictures either on TV or elsewhere when they take a microscope and they and they show you know your arm or your finger after you've washed it mm-hmm. and it's still loaded with oh yeah you know sure. germs and bacteria and things yeah because. You know, you get that close, there's still a lot of stuff. You put any man under a microscope. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What did, did St. Paul say we we sin seven times a day? Uh, no, but what he did say was, uh, talking about his own inner conflict, the good that I want to do, I don't do, and oftentimes the bad that I don't want to do, I oftentimes find myself doing. Yeah, but mm-hmm. there's, some, there's somebody who said, you know, each man, you know send seven times a day or I don't know if it's seven or six or in some cases for most of us, it's more 700. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, put a microscope up to anybody. Now here's this rambunctious, you know, real estate developer in New York, you know, and uh, you know, are there some deals that people might, you know, raise an eyebrow? Of course there are. Mm -hmm. Um, Does it disqualify him as presidency? No, it doesn't. But I don't know if they're going to impeachment or if they're just going to just keep hammering them and hammering and hammering and hope to wear them down. But I'll tell you this, American people can turn and say, this is unfair. Now you're doing too much. My advice to the president, this is most of what I have to say today, is stay on the issues, stay on the border, stay on the economy, stay on the foreign policy, stay on the deregulation, stay on all the things in which you've had some success. Let the Democrats just talk about, you know, how they're after you. And people are going to say, well, well, at least he's working for the country. At least he's trying to improve the country. Because meanwhile, while they're on their witch hunt, they're not. Absolutely they're not. They're not passing any legislation. Uh, they're not writing any legislation. They're not talking about issues. They're talking about him. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And and there's a second factor. Because they put so much into this collusion thing, we're all still waiting on Mueller. Everybody's assuming there's not going to be anything in there. I'm not assuming that. I don't know what's going to be in there. Mm-hmm. but. You had 15 smart, dedicated anti-Trump lawyers working on this thing, so there could be trouble for the president there. But let's assume there's no smoking gun and no you know, real hard evidence of collusion. American people are going to say, well, well, okay, I mean, this is all we heard about for two years. If there isn't, why don't you guys give it up and let the president be president? And they're obviously not, right. because right. this whole thing with Chairman Nadler and oversight and all these other committees is to just stay on the president's case. That seems to be their plan. Um, and I just I, – I don't think that will work. I think it will backfire. Right. Just something real quick on the approval numbers. So um, overall, he's at 43 mm-hmm. percent for his approval rating, 51 uh, percent approving on the North Korea um, – his, his dealing with North Korea, 54 percent approving of uh, unemployment, um, the unemployment numbers, and uh, 56 of adults uh, approving of uh, President Trump's handling of the economy. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yep. So he's he's not in terrible position, and as Conrad Black will tell us. He's in much better position than he was in um, 2014 uh, or 2015, in which case he was taking on not only the Democrat Party but the Republican Party. Right. Yeah. <laughs> now he is the Republican Party. Right. Pretty much. Mm-hmm. For all intents and purposes. So we shall see. We'll talk about this with our with our two guests, kind of a 2020 and where do we stand uh, now, uh, show for you today.
1: You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Show.
0: Let's welcome for the first time to the show, Alex Castellanos. He's an analyst with ABC News, co-founder of Purple Strategies. Alex, thank you for joining us today. Hey, Bill. How are you? Good. How are you, sir? Couldn't be better. Great. Great. We're so delighted to get you. You know, uh, I'm one of those people who um, has a TV on all day. I guess the Nielsen people like me. I'm over 60 and have it on all day, drive the ratings up. And I walk in and out, and I read, and I do stuff, but I only stop for about two or three people, and you're one of them. So there's a lot of people out there, and uh, and you're one of them always worth listening to. So thank you.
1: we got to get you more variety in your TV. I need, I need,
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's a nice way to put it, huh? All right. I need to. Okay. Anyway, maybe okay. so. <laughs> But you know why why I'm calling. I caught you on uh, the Stephanopoulos show. You work for ABC some, right?
1: Yes, ABC this week.
0: And uh, you were on with a panel and um, several Democrats, and you made the point, and I'll let you make it in more more precise terms, that it looked to you like the Democrats were heading left toward uh, the destination of 2020. There was some resistance to it, and then there was some back and forth. Did I hear you? Did I hear you correctly? And I I want to get your general sense of it. And then I want to break it down uh, into some uh, individual pieces and questions.
1: Sure. Um, I think um, right now, today, if I had to bet that Donald Trump gets reelected president, I think a lot of things are breaking his way. Um, Most importantly is Gee, it turns out that uh, being a Republican president, a fairly classic Republican president, uh, you do a good job. The economy's growing. People are, have more jobs than ever. Wages are up. And America is feared and respected and powerful in the world, if not always loved. And uh, people's lives are improving. But part of it, so part of it is, is what Trump is doing and frankly what he's undoing. He's undoing uh, a lot of years of elitist government in terms of taxes and regulation. But a lot of it is the alternative. Uh, there's, uh, as, as you know, Bill, that uh, in, in Washington, it's a town of excess. Nothing is worth doing that is, is not worth doing too much. And the Demps have gone crazy left Uh there in in their rabid anti-trumpism. They're talking about having their convention in Miami. I think they ought to go ahead and go all the way to Venezuela <laughs> and have it there. <laughs> because uh, the Democratic Party has been captured by its rabid anti-Trump youth uh and uh, the Ocasio-Cortezes and when Trump gave that state of the union speech he summed up the choice I think voters are going to have in 2020 in one line. America will never be socialist. So you can choose between making America great again, choose greatness, or you know socialism. And, uh, and, and I think that's an election that the Republicans are going to win and win by a lot. Look, the last president to run against socialism, the bill is someone you knew, Ronald Reagan. Yeah. Uh, he said socialism is on, only works in two places, right? In heaven where they don't need it, and hell where they already have it. <laughs> Ronald Reagan Ronald Reagan got five hundred and twenty five electoral votes <laughs> that way, and uh, Trump's going to be more limited. But I think uh, that's a choice that the American people uh, will make to favor Republicans.
0: Now, let me uh, disaggregate the data, as we say in social science. Um, And break this down a little bit. Uh, First of all, uh, Alexandria Cortez, um, uh, others who came in, I have been reading and reading up on this. You'll know off the top of your head. My impression was that overall, this group of Democrats that came in in the wave uh, was a more moderate overall group of uh, of uh, of people. Is that right? I I mentioned this to you. Okay, go ahead. Yeah.
1: Yes. No. I think that is right. When you look at the numbers, the Democrats' strategy that seems to be the the best is don't tell them what we're for. When they run when they run faceless oatmealish type uh, Democrats like Doug Jones, Senator from Alabama, is is typical of that model. When they run candidates like that for Congress, Democrats always do well. Pin the bullseye on Republicans. Let the election be a referendum on Donald Trump. And, you know, uh, the the last election, 2018, was not a choice election. It was a referendum on Donald Trump. Midterms always are referendums on the party in power. And when you ask America, hey, should Donald Trump have a brake pedal on his car? The answer is yes. (laughs) This president is a man of huge excesses and passions and hyperbole. So the idea that we'd have a Republican House and a Republican Senate and a Republican like Donald Trump in the White House, a car with three accelerators and no brake pedal, the American people said, whoa, 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 let's tap the brakes and send some Democrats. But they you're right. They were kind of mostly faceless, generic Democrats whose strategy was to keep their head in the foxhole. However,
0: uh let me just interrupt you to clarify. Yeah, they were I've read several accounts that they were actually. In their whatever facelessness or foxhole they were inhabiting, they were actually a lot of them, very moderate. I remember an election night hearing, you know, former Marine, former Army helicopter pilot, former, and that a lot of them are, were quite moderate. But uh, one, one person said to me, they are, and most of them are, but that's not, those aren't the ones who are dominating uh, and lighting the fire and pushing the party.
1: I think that's exactly right. Their strategy was to blur the lines, okay. uh, be Republicans light. Uh, we saw Democrats okay. running for Congress with, uh, you know, with uh, uh, using assault weapons in their ads and always having an American flag on the stage. Okay. So blur the lines. Don't okay. let the election be about what the Democratic Party is for. And yes, a military background. Uh, was very helpful in in blurring the difference between, uh, at least perceptually, between Democrats and Republicans. But the soul of the Democratic Party has been captured by Ocasio-Cortez, by the Beto O'Rourke's. That's where the passion and the fundraising and the activism is. And the Democratic Party is now not responding to its voters the Democratic elites in Congress are responding to the young generation, the young Turks right behind them, who are about to eat the older generation. Okay. So that's why they're that's why they're so hot, uh, forming more investigative committees to investigate Donald Trump. Uh, yeah. They're trying sure. to stay one step ahead of the hungry horde of young Democrats that's out to get the old elite. Okay,
0: what about uh, because you talk about the uh, the Democratic Party, its members, not not the millennial base or the or the the base that's uh, that's pushing left. And and there is a distinction. If I read it correctly, that Democratic Party, Democrat Party writ large, still, uh, for whatever reason, uh, favors Joe Biden. Does what you have described change? If Joe Biden gets in the race, I don't
1: think so, Bill. I think Joe Biden uh, has got a real problem, and that's that people know Joe Biden. Um, He is a well-known political figure. He was vice president for eight years, and he doesn't have any room to grow. So what Joe Biden is getting now is what Joe Biden is going to get. He's not going to reinvent Joe Biden, new and improved. So basically that tells you he's a parking lot. He's the familiar place people sit waiting for something more attractive, a better ride to come by. And I think uh, the Democratic Party is is in is undergoing this generational transformation and he's going to get left behind. What about and You're going to see mm-hmm. that one of these new generation Democrats. I mean that's where the energy is. Bernie Sanders, believe it or not, is still one of the young generation.
0: Yeah, yeah because sure. No. He's a
1: revolutionary. Yeah, Right? No, I see. And, and it's not how young you are. It's how young you think we are. Yeah. That was Ronald Reagan's secret. He, yeah. he might have been an older fellow, but he thought America was always young.
0: Yeah.
1: And he had that revolutionary spirit. Well, Bernie Sanders is young. Uh, Beto O'Rourke, the radicals are always young. Yeah. Biden is not a radical. He's an establishment. I think he gets left behind. Yeah,
0: it's not the age. It's the uh, hue, isn't it? I mean, one of uh, Eisenhower's exactly. biographers said he's old, but he moves young. You know, that's and, right. uh, and so and so that's it. I thought very telling, um, you know, things you pick up. I thought very telling was this false note he hit. I know Biden very well. I was the first drug czar, you may recall. And he kind of invented the office and he was chairman of judiciary. And so I had, I don't know how many meetings with him before I got confirmed. And then how many hearings with him acting as chairman treated me very well, pretty much gave me what I wanted uh, and was quite bipartisan. Now, uh, I thought one of the most interesting things, and I pick up on these little things that tell you about the culture and the times. What does Thomas More say to Gloucester? I show you the times um, is uh, when he, <laughs> I, I can only say this with a straight face, he referred to the vice president as a decent guy. In, in in a talk in which he was criticizing the vice president for saying you know certain things and the, the hall remained silent no one picked up on it but he in in, in introducing uh, his discussion the vice president referred to him as a decent guy and then immediately oh. had to apologize for calling him a decent
1: guy what the heck. He's calling Satan a decent guy. I guess. No, yeah, the yeah. the uh, the intolerance of the tolerance yeah. is uh, is an amazing thing in politics that we have become that uh, uh, that polarized. And you know, it's funny in politics. One of the rules is that uh, it is more effective to attack someone if you hug them first. <laughs> Uh, at, to Brutus. Right. Get close to, to Caesar, put your arm around him, and then you stick in the knife. Uh, you know, the, it, it's much easier to say that Donald Trump's done some good things for the economy. Let's give him credit, but he's way out of the mainstream on X, Y, okay. and Z. That would okay. be a more effective path for Democrats to attack. But right now it's all, Launching long-range bombs and nothing that Donald Trump and Republicans can do or anything they are nothing of that can be right, and I think that costs them a lot of credibility. Yeah, I'm just curious. It's clear um, that the energy uh,
0: and drive, uh, you know, the four-barrel carburetor in this in this engine is is the young people and these leftists. Do you have to go with where the energy is to be successful? Yeah. Or can you uh, say to the party, calm down, never
1: mind? Is that what happened with Hillary and and Bernie? Um, It's what, yeah. And that's that's what happens with us as Republicans. You know, our anti-Obama fervor wound us up so tight that in many ways we... We couldn't resist it, and we lost our vision of the future, uh, of, of that our job was to lead the country to a better place. Uh, our job was to explain why our yep. principles were the future, and indispensably needed to take us over the horizon to someplace better, and we just became a small, petty, nasty anti-Obama party. Okay, and uh, okay. and and we were lessened by that experience. But parties tend to go lick that cold, frozen metal bar mm-hmm. and get their tongue stuck on it. We did against Obama. The Democrats are doing it now against Trump, and it's a terrible trap. Some of the Democrats, older Democrats, sense it. Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, they're trying to slow things down a little bit. But, you know, when you're young and you're ignorant of history, Uh, and you've never seen anything like this before, well, you think socialism is this brand new idea.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Let me get to that. Let me get to that. Um, First of all, I should tell you that I have now publicly taken responsibility for all this. Um, Alex, just so you know, someone had to stand up, and I said I was secretary of education, and I blew it. I was talking about choice and accountability and merit pay and vouchers, and I should have been lecturing the entire country on the history of socialism. So it's my fault. All right. I'll take it. Some, someone's got to take mine, it. too. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I wrote a piece, maybe wrong. I said, okay, fine. You break down these things and they don't work. They cost $93 trillion, whatever. But there's an appeal to these ideas. Uh, I mean, you know, not not just among millennials, I'm looking at some polls, uh, countries, uh, you know, they get interested in experimentation. Victor Hugo, as you remember, said there's nothing quite like the power of an idea whose time has come, even a bad idea, even a bad idea. Uh, is there some, is it enough to make fun of socialism, if you will? And disparage it, uh, or do we need to understand that uh, to a lot of people, you know, socialism, quasi-socialism, maybe socialism, moving in the direction of socialism. I was listening to people at the Bernie rally. Is maybe okay? Is that that's a real thing out there, isn't it?
1: I think so. I, I think um, I think we can laugh a little, but it's too serious to laugh about much. Um, and the world is uh, the world is changing. One is. Socialism often uh, becomes more attractive, not when capitalism has failed, but when capitalism has been immensely successful. And when uh, we take it for granted that the refrigerator is always going to be full, and uh, and we don't worry about having to earn the fruits uh, of success, and we we can afford to worry about uh, just sharing them and, and redistributing them. So. Good. I think uh, that refrigerator is always full is a problem, and we lose sight of the importance of creating wealth. Uh, the world is point. also women are also gaining economic and political power, and as we know, women are more concerned about people, care more about people. Men care more about things. It's why men are engineers and more women are nurses. That's biology. It's not. It's not sexism. And as women gain political power, and
0: you'll never be president of Harvard. Like, you'll never I, be president of no. Harvard.
1: <laughs> I'm done. You're I'm done. Yeah, so, but you know, science is what science is, and yeah. so is biology. And as, as the you know, women are gaining political and economic power, which I think is a good thing, not a bad thing. But but that has also put more emphasis on the redistributive uh, power of government. Uh, and and this so. I think for a lot of reasons, we're, we're seeing the surge of socialism. But you know, one argument I have a problem with, Bill, is that capitalism has failed. And that's why socialism is necessary to restrain its ills. There was a, there was a survey, a research project not long ago, a few years ago, actually looking at, well, wait a minute. Why is there such income inequality? And it turns out that. Most of it is concentrated in two or three professions financial services. It's concentrated in, uh, in banking. It's concentrated in healthcare and, and, and professional services. In other words, some of the most highly regulated professions uh, are the ones where you're seeing the income boom. What does that mean? Interesting. It's government that's making it possible. Government serves as a moat. The more rules and regulations you have, what happens? Well, only the rich, the wealthy can afford the lawyers and the lobbyists to uh, to navigate their way through it. You're you're the poor guy, the working class guy. He can't afford lawyers and lobbyists, but the rich can. So I'd argue that. It's Bernie Sanders who's responsible for income inequality. The more complicated he makes Washington and government and the rules, the more he benefits the guys with the resources. Yeah, and and yeah, I think that's something we have to start looking at. Socialism is a subsidy for the elite.
0: But let's, put, but let's go back to something you said earlier uh, when you talked about the refrigerator being full. Um, I had a conversation with Mark Penn. I'm sure you know Mark Penn, right? Sure. And he is, you know, he's obviously in trouble with the Clintons and others because he's been, you know, he's, he's been appearing on Fox. He's, you know, God knows <laughs> that's bad enough. But, but also so saying things. Hell has
1: frozen over. Yeah,
0: saying things. But he told me, uh, he said, I did polling in Venezuela years ago. He said, and, you know, what was happening was that the conservatives were not doing what they promised. They were not. A lot of people were getting rich, but the middle class was shrinking. Uh, note, note, tail nota bene. And he said, and the and the, and, and the left was just not coming up with anything. So you want to know why we get what we get? He said, I, I he said, I'm just I, I think I think the Democrats are heading too far left. But cautionary tale for Republicans and conservatives. You need your own p- policy uh, initiatives. You need to address things like middle class wage stagnation. You need to talk about, you know, the 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 the, pl- the plight of of workers and so on. You can't beat the left just simply by declaiming about the left's failures. You have got to come up with a positive agenda.
1: Yes, you do. Right. And and there there's a way to do that. We've actually done a lot of research and thinking about that. How do you talk to a new generation of voters about the principles we believe? Edmund Burke uh, said that conservatives have a gift for re-expressing their principles to fit the time, the conservative mind, Russell Kirk. Mm -hmm. And and I think that's such an important thought, Mm -hmm. because what it means is you've got to be able to tell people why what you believe is important and relevant in their life today well that's a pretty low bar if we can't tell people especially young people why they need what we believe well let's get out of this political business but we can and it's there's so it's not just that socialism is bad it's it's let us tell you about your life and why If you can be more prosperous and successful and happy believing what we believe, and the way to go at it, Bill, we've found is to talk about their lives and our principles, the way they're living their lives today. For example, if you go up to a young person today and say, hey, um, do you believe open things are better than closed things? Instantly. They'll choose open. Well, yes, open is good. Yeah, yeah. Why is that? Yeah. Well, because they're connected to everything in the world. They want to keep their lines of communications open. They don't have to be educated. So the minute you say, well, would you like an open economy or a closed one? They choose open. They don't have to be educated. You know what they did? They just chose freedom. But they understand it through their experience. Hey, do you want the economy to grow bottom up or top down? They'll choose bottom up. Do you want the economy to grow naturally and organically or or politically and artificially from Washington, guess what they choose? They'll choose freedom every single time. So we've got to update our understanding of freedom and why it is essential to the economy and culture of the world we're moving into, and why it's what's next and not what's last. This next generation of voters that we're seeing, they're the most connected generation ever. They value, they have more choices, they, do, they don't understand being limited. If they lose their cell phone for five seconds, they go into a panic because they're connected to everything. The minute you restrict their choices, the minute you put them in a closed system, they rebel. They live what we believe. We just haven't communicated to them that what we believe is what they live. Is the president uh, addressing
0: this? I want to uh, ask you this and then oh, ask you one kind of closing question. Is he addressing this at all by <clears throat> talking about uh, the economy uh black unemployment uh female unemployment um, these are real things right
1: he is he is addressing it somewhat, but we have to face the facts that our president is of a different generation, even though he is the most advanced communications age president we 've seen in many ways I mean the man governs via Twitter yeah. Uh, you know, he tweets yeah. at the moon at night. He's it's it's remarkable <laughs> the way he is connected directly with the American people. But he is a little bit about more about bringing back manufacturing than opening up the economy. Uh, we need almost a different generation of Republican, a new generation of Republican. Look, Ronald Reagan wasn't Goldwater. He didn't reject Goldwater. Right, he built right. upon it. <laughs> he took Goldwater's anti anti-communism and anti-big government, and he added something to it, Reagan-esque optimism. Now it's time for a new generation of Republicans to stand on Ronald Reagan's shoulders and talk about this new economy and say, by the way, do you want to take this country over limitless frontiers? Do you, want, do you think our government should understand the way you live? Do you want a, an open economy or a closed one? Do you want to grow it naturally and organically or top down politically and artificially from Washington? Do you want more power in your hands or power in politicians hands? Why do we keep governing ourselves the old way? Offer the next generation uh, of voters a choice between the old way, top down, socialism, Uh, artificial political decision-making or natural organic economic evolution. You know who believes in evolution? Conservatives do. We believe in economic evolution. Democrats are the ones who want to paralyze it. We can win these fights, but we have to express our principles in, in the concepts that relate to the lives that people are living today. Freedom is always a new idea if we can just express it in the language of the day.
0: Oh, where is it? Uh, is there anybody you identify with it uh, in the house or the senate who the president should be listening to? I don't mean as a challenger to the president.
1: I think he's you know, I, I, I think he's pointed he... my Republican party right now because we became so hollow, I think, in our anti-rabid anti-obamaism that we stopped growing and we stopped evolving and this outsider named Donald Trump who'd never run a campaign before businessman, who's a Republican in some ways and, and not so, yeah. came in and just wiped out our whole party. That's a, That was a referendum on what had happened to us. And I think we're still hiding in the bushes waiting for, for Donald Trump to pass from the scene. A lot of our leadership is just wait, trying to wait him out. Have we learned anything? Have we grown since Donald Trump whooped the Republican Party? No. By the way, neither have the Democrats. So, uh, and that, to me, is, is is frightening. The day that Donald Trump leaves office, what if we have a Republican Party that hasn't learned or grown and a Democratic Party that is rabidly mad and swinging the other way to balance the scales?
0: Maybe you've just answered it, but let's just, the last question, reconcile what you just said with what you said at the opener of this discussion, Alex, which is um, Donald Trump will pro- probably be reelected in 2020 despite the failure to do or the insufficiency of efforts in the direction you just described he'll win because because the democrats will have run a McGovern-like campaign i mean is that is that is that basically it yeah yes yeah, I, yeah.
1: I i i think donald uh, i think donald trump right now today if he is not in other federal housing other than the white house gets reelected because Uh, because what we believe works uh, and we're seeing that in action. He's been a very Reagan-esque president, what he's done and not who he is. And because the Democrats have gone so crazy left, but I don't, I don't see that we are evolving an alternative to the Democrats. If Donald Trump were to leave the scene. Yeah. Yeah. We need to, we need to grow. We need to explain, you know, Ask anybody today if, if take Donald Trump Trump from the picture. Is the Republican Party the party of the future? If we no. can't answer that question, um, I'm not sure we're going to deserve what we get. Okay,
0: great. Alex, thank you very, very much. It's terrific.
1: A treat to be with you, Bill, anytime and always. All right,
0: we will call on you again, we promise. Thank you so much. Uh, Unusual for me to do this between interviews, but uh, where Alex ended, which is what do we do after Trump, uh, is an interesting question. Trump so fills the screen, Claude, Mm -hmm. that people forget that there'll be a time when there's no Trump. Right. And so what are the principles that are being established and some articulation of that important for a the future of the Republican Party b I think, for the election in 2020. So I think it's a fair point. But uh, the power of Trump, uh, Aristotle says power is the ability to be or make things be mm-hmm. uh, will be demonstrated in our next interview with our friend Conrad Black. Here we
1: go. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show.
0: Joining us now, Conrad Black, author and non-affiliated member of the House of Lords. Conrad, welcome
2: back to the show. Yes, sir. How are you today?
0: How much are you writing? Are you increasing your writing?
2: No, I, I, I write the same amount. Wow. wow. I write uh, one column up here and two blogs in the U.S. I'm just uh, maybe I'm
0: maybe I'm reading it twice and
2: forgetting it. Not <laughs> that. I I don't. I never write the same thing twice.
0: So. That's for sure that's for sure
2: i want to well, I, the, the, the the news keeps tumbling in so it's not so hard to find i mean often as you know it, 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 you're just putting old wine in new bottles but yeah you know, things yeah. keep popping you know you can always find something to write about
0: let's start here i'm just uh, i want to go to your uh your uh, article the cohen fiasco at least that's what it was called in in the reprint i have but i want to go first to the earlier one where you talk about um the Democrats now look more like the Republicans of 64, Barry Goldwater, and the Democrats of 72, George McGovern, as the reality sinks in that Trump has demolished the post-Reagan bipartisan tweedledy-dee-tweedledy-dum politics. Uh, uh, first of all, is that where the Democrats are going? Uh, is that the arc uh, right now? Is that the vector uh, toward a kind of uh, McGovernism?
2: Well, you know, I'm... A- Always hesitant to try and mind read, and I'm talking about a bunch of candidates that I don't know personally and never have any contact with. So, I, I believe it or not, I'm, I'm cautious about answering a question like that. But uh, so, all I can do is try and judge it from what any member of the public can see. And it, it seems to me that it was a party that simply had a real problem. Believing they'd actually lost the last election, and therefore were groping for uh, some sort of extraordinary explanation for why they lost the last election, and um, it wasn't like the Republicans in in you know 2012 or something. They under you know they lost the election. These things happen. But it, uh, so in their in their. Um, extreme confusion and disconcertion about uh, losing the election in 2016. They were prey to the the Clinton argument of I couldn't really have lost fair and square because that idea is preposterous and therefore uh, he, then the search begins for why did I lose and Hillary Clinton came up with Trump's treason and Jim Comey shiving her three times, never mind that twice uh, he exonerated her in one case almost certainly of right. criminal behavior. And uh, and, uh, and so they, they they hung on to that and the theory that they could get rid of Trump, that his election wasn't legitimate, it was freakish and probably dishonest, and fought that battle. And it, it now seems to be quite clear that they've struck out on that. And it, it just seems that the aftershock, the sort of second shock one, having lost the election, and two, having failed to compromise significantly the legitimacy of the person who won the election, they're in this scramble to the left. And, and uh, because there's on the one hand, this theory that if Trump can win, anybody can win, so we'll all jump in. And on the other, if if, if he didn't steal the election, then uh, since it's such a big field, I have to distinguish myself from the others. So we have this, uh, it's, it's kind of like an auction going on, as if there's a, a magical, invisible auctioneer saying, now who can say the more extreme thing and get the most attention? Yeah. And, and, uh, I, I, and I can't say that that exactly went on with the Republicans in 64, but I'm old enough to remember what went on. And there there was a ding dong battle between a liberal Republican with Nelson Rockefeller and a conservative with Barry Goldwater and neither president Eisenhower nor, Former Vice President Nixon took – they were the men who might have influenced things, and they they straddled. They didn't want to get into either side. And and Nelson Rockefeller made a few errors and had some bad luck. It was in those days a great uh, controversy if he were divorced and his second wife gave birth to a child, I think the same day as the primary in California. And uh, and he lost narrowly, but uh, but it, it, you know that, that it, you, you could see them edging towards the conservative option, and you could see that it couldn't possibly work. You now, there's been a great deal of romanticization of Barry Goldwater, and he was not at all a bad man, but he had no chance to win. And then uh, behind the conservative part of it, which had its merits and the reservations about the big big government and the big state. Um, he was embracing states' rights, which at that time was essentially a euphemism for let the segregation continue yeah. to and That just couldn't go on.
0: Uh, let me see. I, I, just want, I just want to see if I'm, I'm tracking the argument right. So they look at the election, they say, well, this shouldn't have happened on the merits, uh, right and wrong. It would have been right for us to have win, but won, but Trump won. So we have to examine why uh and then they determine well we can't make that case to the american people so then uh, then they go nuts i mean um because this is the part this is the part that caught me and i love this part i want to read it in the aftermath of this shock the democrats are like a suicide case contemplating russian roulette with all the chambers loaded and they're the ones loading in the cartridges here are the cartridges.
2: <laughs> oh, oh, oh every, everybody here is laughing. I don't want to make fun of suicide. Attacks. No, 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 no. Every suicide a tragedy. No,
0: no, no. The, no. The, open borders, it, a top personal income tax rate of seven. That's what they're doing. Open borders, a top personal income tax rate of around 70%. Nationalized health care, legalized infanticide, a green policy that bans cars, airplanes, oil, coal, and bovine flatulence, and now reparations for African-Americans, on and on it goes. Um, Unlike a sensible person like Michael Bloomberg, he's out or even Joe Biden or possibly Amy Kobachar or Sherrod Brown. Unless one of those gets hold of the party, the Democrats will self-inflict mortal wounds and give Trump the greatest, greatest plurality in history, breaking Richard Nixon's record. So that's what happened. They couldn't make the case calmly and rationally. So they went off the deep end.
2: Am I following that right? And, and they, they've effectively, as far as I can see, ostracized the Clintons. So, I mean, they couldn't even say, well, we lost because we had, inexplicably, because Bill Clinton had been a very able leader of the party, inexplicably, we lost because we had a bad candidate. Uh, I mean, you know, that happens. You, you know, people feel, well, you know, we nominated the wrong person, that, you know, so you don't do it twice in a row. But not content with that, they're they're, they're now running for the hills. I mean, they you you have to wonder what what these people are thinking. And I, I, you would know better than I. But I've only seen four of these possible candidates that struck me as not really way, too far for the American public, too far on the left for the American public to give them any chance of winning. And and um, and and you're right, Michael was one, and he's gone. Joe Biden is taking his time, so Sherrod Brown hasn't said whether he'll run, and and you know he's a, he's I don't think he's all that moderate, but compared to the others, he is. and I guess Klobuchar has kind of got a brand of her own there, but you know, I, 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 I mean, if if she were the nominee, I think she could make a respectable run, but but um, they are they you know they are in danger of a real flame-out. I, mean, I did mention that in past elections, how easy it is for an incumbent president completely to destroy uh, the opposition. I mentioned Roosevelt for that business, about his yep. dog. I mean, Thomas E. Yep. Dewey spent the last three weeks of the campaign—actually, he said it in September, so he spent the last almost two months of the campaign. Um, campaigning against roosevelt's dog right martin barton and fish yeah remember this That's a great lie. I mean, yeah. Roosevelt has, I mean I, even saying i've said it I, and i'll say it again and again and again it sounds banal but it worked yeah so what the term could say ocasio-cortez and talib and omar i suppose well and, and it's i mean i accept that uh uh, the speaker is doing her best to keep order in that uh, in that rather disparate caucus in the in the House of Representatives, but uh, these people just keep popping up and handing mortal ammunition to the Republicans, and, and and the Republicans are putting it on the shelf for the day when they want to use it.
0: I don't know um, if you're right. I mean, I'm so convinced of what you're saying. I'm not. I'm not sure your qualification is right about Biden. I thought the most shocking thing last week. I, you know, what does is, what is Thomas More say to Gloucester and Man for All Seasons? I give you the times. I show you the times. Joe Biden, in, in his beginning, just says, well, take Mike Pence, a decent man. And then he goes on to criticize Pence. He had to apologize for calling him a decent man.
2: What does that suggest? Yeah, 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 Joe Biden is, uh, you remember Peggy Noonan for? no, I guess it was eight years ago, described Newt Gingrich as a grenade with a pin pole saying now watch this well in a way Joe Biden is a little like that but where with Newt it was kind of ideas he hadn't thought through with Joe Biden it's just extremely stupid things to say I mean I thought the business of going to the Munich conference and saying uh, the United States is an embarrassment was an outrage I mean whatever happened to the theory that uh, when outside the country you didn't debunk your own country's Administration. I, I want to get into the Jerry Nadler and,
0: and, and the rest of this and the 80, 80
2: people he's calling. But,
0: but first, uh, I think there's too much saying of, well, the Mueller thing's not going to come to anything. I'm not so sure. You got 15 lawyers, all of whom, you know, hate Trump. They've been working on it for two years. Maybe. Uh, what gives us the confidence to, to believe he's got nothing? I mean, I know he doesn't have a hard case. We'd know that if he did. No, well, I, I shouldn't
2: say nothing. I, 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 I don't know that you did, but a lot of people are. Yeah, no, I, 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 I don't think they have anything on collusion with Russia. I I think that it is conceivable that they will uh, try and generate some innuendos about obstruction, but they cannot possibly claim they've got a real case of obstruction against the president. In terms of anything that seriously discomforts the president, I don't think they have anything. And I I agree, you've got these people who are, for for the most part, fanatical Democrats who desperately like to find something to damage the administration or damage Trump personally but um, I, I just don't think they have anything and so it, it's a, it's bound to be to, to a substantial degree an anti-climax given the the mountainous hopes that the Democrats and their acolytes and the media invested oh. in the Mueller yeah. operation over the yeah. last two years whatever they have is less than what it has been hyped up to be for two years and 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 is and it's like a teeter totter to the extent it's less. it raises Trump's ability to say, "'Look, I told you it was a hoax, and it was
0: All right, so now next challenge we go into 87 people being called and this committee and that committee and this committee i mean uh, you wrote great book on donald trump and we know that uh, most men have warts and he may have more than average so you get into everything including his you know what he did in grade school whether he wrote crayons on the wall you know, you've seen those pictures of even after you've washed your hands, if you put a microscope up, you find all this bad stuff. Um, th- they're going to find a lot of stuff, right? I mean, if if the government decides to come after you with unlimited resources, they're going to find a lot of bad stuff. Why is this not going to hurt him or why will it not hurt him
2: mortally? I am not clear on the extent to which that has to be cooperated with. See, Okay. Okay, I, I, I suspect that any member of the administration can make a plausible invocation executive privilege, and I, and those not in the administration can say through their counsel, this is simply a perjury trap, and my client is not answered, and 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 I, I think that the public at some point will be getting tired of this. I mean, even the reasonable person, and I tried to make this distinction the other day, even the reasonable person who finds the president a distasteful, in stylistic terms, a distasteful occupant of his great office, uh, that's a legitimate argument, and it's a legitimate reason not to vote for him, if, that's, if, that's, if you feel that strongly. But but they, the people who put that argument forward don't put it forward as an impeachment argument. They put it forward as, I just don't like this guy argument. And, and those people don't want, and in my opinion, you may well say, what am I, you know, what, what do I know about it? But uh, my intuition for what it's worth is that th- those people don't want a continuation of the confected and fake drama of a possible removal from office of a president. something that's never happened before in that country. Uh, over what is clearly nonsense, what is clearly scraping the barrel, uh, to tr- to try and find that he dis uh, you know operated a lemonade stand dishonestly in in 1955 or something, and and uh, when he was in elementary school. I mean, the the public can't take much more of this if it isn't real. I mean, if they come up with something that is that is a real question mark about his fitness to govern. His legal fitness to govern, then, uh, then the, obviously the public would be interested in that, and then a large part of the public would be, uh, you know, champing at the bit that it, that it was uh, an adequate grounds to get rid of him. But I, I don't think a, a, a colorless, uh, you know, caricature of a New York Democratic congressman uh, saying he said eleven hundred times that that uh, that the Mueller investigation is a witch hunt, and that's obstruction of justice. I just don't think the public is, 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 is wants to hear any more foolishness like that.
0: Emphasis on any more, too, particularly when it comes to Mueller, partly because uh, the, the president's enemies have made so much out of this.
2: If well, it the tur- implication of Natalie's statement that I just cited is Uh, The president of the United States, despite being the chief of state and head of government, uh, and in Roosevelt's phrase, the head of the American people, does not enjoy the fundamental First Amendment right of free speech. He does not have the right to say that this investigation of him, which in fact is not going to produce anything legally damaging to him, um, is a witch hunt. He doesn't have the right to say that. I mean, everyone can call him, accuse him, as Clinton and many others have, of treason, but he can't say that uh, it's a witch hunt. And the fact that he said it is obstruction of justice, I mean, it is just so utterly preposterous, if you think about it for one second. Uh, I mean, I realize there are a lot of rabid partisans and a lot of... Very peculiar people in a population of 325 million in the United States, but the great majority of Americans know that that's just bunk and they're tired of it. I wonder, though, is it going too far to say, well, you
0: know, in the absence of legal problems? I mean, come on, examine this guy's last 30 years. You don't think there are going to be some legal problems? Sure there are. Oh, what deals he's made?
2: I don't think the country cares. I mean, what... Okay, they, okay. They, I mean, I agree with you. That the, the, the Everybody, everybody in the world, at least every person who reaches the age of 18 and, and beyond, uh, has some things that they wouldn't like to be in the public. Not necessarily that they were illegal, but they would be slightly embarrassing in some way. And I, I agree with that, but that's, that is not a standard... Yeah, that is relevant to the question of the uh, of the uh, appropriateness of uh, trying to prevent this president from finishing his term. We're at the point, Bill, where if you haven't got you the opponents of the president, if you haven't got uh, a really strong argument to um, question his right to hold the office to which he was apparently elected, that then if you don't like him, just wait for the next election. That's what has happened in the history up to now. Yep. And that is the cho- chosen and, and legitimate form of government in the country.
0: Plus, it seems to me, not just crying wolf, but the broadcasting of w- wolf, the screaming of wolf, and the collusion, when that dissipates... If, if we think it will, largely American people say, well, OK, you know, n- now leave him alone. Plus, when they listen to the Democrats, they're either hearing Jerry Nadler calling these witnesses and saying obstruction of justice or this policy craziness. And meanwhile, he's talking about real things, jobs and right, right. Kim Jong Un and deregulation. And, you
2: know, he. he- the, apparently, the prospects are good for a trade arrangement with China. The economy is coming along well. I mean, the, it isn't a particularly problem-ridden horizon for the president right now. I, you know, the, the, it is an administration that has accomplished a lot. Uh,
0: I was taking my reading recently that you know his base is holding. The base that's against
2: him is holding, but that middle is starting to move in his direction. Have you seen this? Well, I, I, that's my impression. Inching yeah. up i mean because they keep running gallup and Quinnipiac and so on who who are which is fine i not for me to say whose whose polls should be factored in but you know there are some polls that obviously aren't getting the american electorate by a representative sample and uh but the ones that, that tend to be more you know, they have no love for Trump. They tend to be at least a professional operation like Economist, YouGov, or Wall Street Journal, NBC. They, by according to my, and this is not scientific, just looking at them when they're published, uh, they appear to have inched up three to five points in the last
0: yeah.
2: month or so. Yeah, and do you know, I mean,
0: I, someone reminded me, I guess it was Michael Barone reminded me the, of this the other day. So remember, in all these national polls... Uh, he said this includes California Uh, (laughs) well it is part of the nation still at least at the moment Um, but um, he also pointed this out I didn't know this 12 million votes in 2016 in California 8 million for Hillary 4 million for Trump we hear endlessly that she won the popular vote by 3 million Barone says if you take California out of the mix I just found this interesting the other 49 states, Trump wins by 1.4 million.
2: Yeah, they, uh, Let me add one other thing to that. The 2016 vote, as you know, there were uh, five or 600,000 votes for McMillan or whatever his name was. That guy was trying to push Utah over yeah. the Democrats. There were a little over a million Greens who would have been Hillary voters, most of them. But there were four million libertarians for Johnson and Weld, and almost yep. all of those would have gone to donald so if if, if, if if you want something like the second ballot in a French election, there are only two candidates um, he didn't he he would have won if they if they'd done the French thing of where there isn 't a majority in the first ballot and in in the Fifth republic they only had it once for de gaulle in at the in the first election. Uh, where all parties except the communists supported him, um, it, it, then then Trump still would have won in sixteen. But but Michael is absolutely right. If you add to that, if you I mean if you add back the the green, independent, Utah and and libertarian votes as best we can, and take out California, Trump won the election by by uh, over five million in the other in the other forty nine states. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, that isn't a big majority, but it's not a hair's breadth. Either.
0: And as you pointed out, this the most I thought the most powerful point you made and you make it in passing only Conrad Black makes life changing comments in passing <laughs> was, you know, in 2016, this guy not only took on, you know, the most powerful political dynasty in America, the Clintons and the Democrats.
2: He took on the Republicans. <laughs> he was, yeah. He was. <laughs> McConnell was going to drop him like a hot rock. Yeah,
0: I mean, he took on both parties and won. So, and, and the point now is, and you make this point. We're going to put these essays up on our website. Is he now is the Republican Party,
2: right? It's fallen in behind. As him. I said, that's the only thing I ever heard. Former Senator Flake say that made yes. any sense to me. Yes. Why are you leaving, Senator? He said it's the president's party. Yeah. The real reason, I guess, is he would have got sacked in the primaries. But that's the reason. Yeah. He, he gambled and he lost. I mean,
0: it's amazing when you think about it. It's really amazing. It took on both parties and won. Amazing.
2: Anyway. Well, you, you, I think for that sort of analysis, Bill, we have to we we have to see what Trump did. He set out. To overturn in completely constitutional manner, unlike some of the conduct of some of his opponents, um, the uh, the entire system that he thought was rotten, and he he was attacking all factions of both parties, uh, the the uh, lobby system, the election financing methods, uh, the national political media, and the political influence of Wall Street and Hollywood. He was attacking all of it, and uh, and he took it stage by stage, and he. He he won the Republican Party and then and then the election and now he has the Republican congressional delegation very solidly behind him and he's gaining every you know it's it, it's in sequence he's he's taking one objective after another it's like a military campaign it's like you know the Nimitz and MacArthur going across the Pacific you started midway in Guadalcanal and you yep. end up at Okinawa in the Philippines
0: yep. Yep. We will leave it there. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Conrad Black. Thank you, Lord Black. <laughs> just, just remember to keep the flame flower flamethrower's working. Yeah, that's, that's, that's amazing. It's amazing what times we live in. So glad you're there to explain them to us. Thank you, Conrad. Always nice speaking with you, Bill. That does it for today's show, Claude. To catch up on previous episodes of the show, go to BillBennettShow.com. You can follow me on Twitter at William J. Bennett and you can like me on Facebook. Facebook still exists, right? Yes, it does. Okay. Just search Bill But There's some trouble or some criticism. Yeah, I, yeah. Feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you and we're going to do some emails. Yeah, come on up- We've got a yeah. couple of shows that we're going to dedicate to email. Oh well, a good portion yeah, of Next shows. next week, I think so. If you got an email, send it to us. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, you'd uh, what you do is you write BillBennettpodcast at gmail.com. Is yep. that right? Just send us an email right there. Yep, Bill Podcast at gmail.com. Please share the podcast with your <laughs> with your family and friends.
1: And we will catch up next week.